And while I was giving the speech, when I got to the end of it, uh, I had found a poem written by a Desert Storm veteran. His name was Clive Sanders. Uh And, And the poem starts out, if unless you've been a soldier, you just won't understand the things that we have seen and done in the service of our land. We have trained in combat to cope with awful sights that shouldn't be seen by anyone and keep us awake at nights. We don't discuss the wounds we have to the body or the mind. We just put our hurts behind us and turn our memories to blind. We are proud we served our country and remember those we lost. For the freedom that you have today, they paid the awful cost. You heard that there. That is Edna Parcell recounting a powerful poem that she read at a ceremony to honor our veterans. More of that later, but first. Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. My name is Matt Emery, and I'm a local history nerd. My main mission in this podcast, as well as other Round the Bend material, is to create engaging content that shares how intertwined the South Bend and Mishawaka area's past is to our present. I interview local leaders, business owners, and community members to help tell their stories because their stories help tell the story of South Bend and Mishawaka. Before we get to the interview, I just have a few simple favors. One is to be sure that you hit the download, like, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app that you listen to us on. Another favor is to follow us on social media at Round the Bend Pod or at Round the Bend 574 on Twitter, Round the Bend Now and Then on Facebook, and now on YouTube, where I'm starting to dabble in some visual content as well. I have a few new videos that include some cool historical pictures, maps, newspaper articles, and narration by yours truly. All of those links are in the show notes as well. My last favor is to please just pass on the good word about the content. Now, Let's dive into another interview that helps tell the story of South Bend and Mishawaka. In the year 2024, I just don't think that we as a whole, me included here, understand or have any inkling of what it was like during the 1930s and 40s in America. First, the Great Depression. Then, as my grandfather used to call it, Big Two, World War II. My grandpa Gene Geyer was a veteran of World War II and he would share some stories here and there, but never many of the gory details. As a father myself, I couldn't imagine how hard it must have been for his parents to see him head out to war as an 18-year-old kid. And not just a minor international squirmish, we're talking about saying goodbye to your boy and sending him off to the largest and most deadliest war in history. Now imagine that times six. Imagine sending six of your sons off to World War II. Ethel and Howard Hardman had to do just that from their Corby Street home in South Bend. Six of them, Royal, Clyde, Robert, Marion, Joseph, and Donald Hardman. Often, when we hear numbers or statistics, they seem just black and white with no attachment to them especially if the numbers are as staggering as the amount of Americans who served our country during World War II. Over 16 million. 
Well, behind every single one of those 16 million soldiers is a story. Every one of them had a story. Every one of them left something here in the United States, whether that be a wife, kids, job, or even a dog. And each of these 16 million soldiers, their stories didn't just stop with them. Their stories also include the families they left behind in the United States. And those that were fortunate enough to survive the war, their stories also include the impact that their service had on them and what burdens, invisible to us, their shoulders had to carry for the rest of their lives. In this episode, I meet with Edna Parcell, who over the years has helped tell the stories of Royal, Clyde, Robert, Marion, Joseph, and Donald Hardman, who all served in World War II. Because you see, these six gentlemen were very near and dear to Edna's heart. To anyone else in the world, these six gentlemen were just one of the 16 million who served. But to Edna, these six gentlemen were her big brothers. I'm so blessed that I had the opportunity to capture and record her memories of her brother's service during the war, but also the impact the war had on them for many years after. Again, each soldier and each of their families has a story. I hope that in this episode, I'm able to capture just a smidget of their stories and what it must have been like for the Hardmans and millions of other families as well. My wife Annie and I actually met with Edna in her local town home, and I set up the recording equipment right there on her dining room table. Edna is sharp as a tack, witty, articulate, and absolutely beamed with pride in telling the story of her brothers. Edna, you should be proud for all of the work that you and your family have done to make sure that your brother's spirits live on and their service in World War II has been honored and recognized. As soon as Annie and I packed the equipment up in the car, we looked at each other in, in almost a silent agreement. We knew that hearing Edna share her brother's stories was truly special. Now here is Edna Parcell and I talking about the story behind South Bend's Band of Brothers her brothers, the Hardman brothers. All right, well, hey, Edna, we'll just start. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm one of 13 children uh -huh. born to Ethel and Howard Hardman. Mm -hmm. um, I have seven brothers and five sisters, Okay, of which there are three of us still living. Uh -huh. um, my six brothers all served in World War II. Mm -hmm. And we have been blessed to be able to trace what they did and learn more about them. Mm -hmm. And that came about when uh, the Tribune published a newspaper article mm -hmm. on November 11, 2004, which mm -hmm. was Veterans Day. They had interviewed my sister, Joanne Batdorf. Okay. And uh, Ken Bradford mm -hmm. had interviewed and posted the article in the Tribune, it was front page, and it was listed South Bend's Band of Brothers. And uh, we were all so thrilled to see that. And it gave a little bit of a story about each of my brothers. Uh -huh. And I being one of the younger children, right? Um, I looked at that article as I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And in looking at the pictures of my brothers, I realized I didn't know much about what they did right. when they were 
gone. Mm-hmm. Some of them were already had left when I was too young to know that I even had that brother. So during the World War II time, the early 1940s, how old of a gal were you? Uh, three to four. Okay, so you were just a little tight. I was just a little thing. I was born in 37. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, some of my brothers were still at home. Mm-hmm. We were in the Depression. Yes, yes. And um, there is a picture among some of the information I have put together mm-hmm. that was taken of just my brothers in 1936. Okay. My youngest brother, John, is less than a year old okay. in that picture. Yeah. And um, my brother, Clyde, is missing from the picture. Mm-hmm. When I look at the picture, it makes me very sad. Oh, yeah. Because here are these young people in the Depression. Right. Their faces look older than their years. Mm. And I look at them and I think what they have been through and are going through Mm -hmm. and what's ahead for them. Mm -hmm. And it makes me very sad. Yeah. Um, Some of the things we had to do during the Depression and during the war Mm -hmm. on the home front um, are are minimal compared to what they did. Absolutely. Uh, But as one of the youngest children, we had chores, all Mm -hmm. of us did. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember food stamps, you know, ration coupons, Mm -hmm. they called them. And um, one of my jobs was we would get this white colored fat. Okay. And it came with a little envelope with powdered orange, powdery, whatever it was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I would sprinkle it onto this blob of fat and mix it up to where it got to be the color of butter. Okay. And that was our butter. That was your butter. <laughs> so it was like instant butter or something? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. there, there were just so many things. And of course, everything was rationed during the Depression with, with the gasoline and mm-hmm. shoes and, and food. Right. So many things. Right, and, and, right. Um, but the family made it through. Um, and the Depression never really ended. Yeah. It just ran into the it second world. It ran into the, yes. War. Speaking uh, of that, what are your earliest memories of the war in general? I know you were, you were a little tight when it was starting. Do you have any yeah. early memories of it? I can remember um, when one of my younger brothers left. Okay. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, I did know him, and I have yeah. memories of him. And I remember knowing that whenever one of them would leave, everyone got sad. You knew that. You just. You I felt, felt it. it. Yes. I felt it. And when he was leaving, I went up behind our garage and hid mm-hmm. because I didn't want him to see me. I was crying because of fear. Of course. And, and not really knowing what was going to happen. Right. And he found me there Aww. and gave me a big hug. I remember that. I was yeah. maybe four or five at uh, that time. And he was just a teen. I mean, just a young kid you know I yeah mean, i was i was young and he was young too i mean so here he was here he is too. a kid himself having to go go find his little sister who's a very young kid and mm-hmm. one kid has to console another and <laughs> and one kid's going off to war <laughs> exactly you know think of that think of being an 18 year old kid a kid about to head to war knowing that you may never see your family in their Corby Street home again. 
and you have to console your little sister. Again, an 18-year-old kid. Shoot, when I was 18, my biggest worry was paying my beeper bill. And I remember um, different things connected with the war. My mother had a flag in the window, and there were six stars on the flag. Signifying signifying how many sons she had fighting. Wow. Exactly. And our neighbor across the street had one son, and hanging in their window was a gold star. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I remember... The uh, Western Union man. That wasn't a good thing if you saw him either, right? When we would see him coming down the street. Now, mm-hmm. this is Corby Boulevard I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Corby, um, more towards like Notre Dame or more towards the um, More towards Edison Niles School. Avenue down Niles in Avenue. that yep, direction. Yep. I, I know exactly where you're at. Right. Uh-huh. And, and uh, there were many families, and Correct. most everyone had someone connected in yeah. the service. And when the, the Western Union bicycle mm-hmm. would come down the street, everybody just was petrified. God, oh my God. Uh, don't stop here, don't stop here, and yet we don't want you to stop at all. Yes. You know, because it meant someone else would suffer. Oh my God. You know, and, and many times it did stop at our house. Just to clarify, the United States would send Western Union telegrams to families of dead and wounded soldiers. The ones that her parents, Ethel and Howard, received were to notify them that one of their sons was wounded in the war. And I just couldn't imagine the feeling that you would have opening that up to see if your boy was wounded or dead. And one time, twice in one week, it stopped at our house. I know, and, and it was a lot of fear. Of course. A lot of prayer. Yeah. A lot of trusting in God and and doing the best we could to get through and, and not knowing really what was happening to them. But I right. think of my parents. Absolutely. And my, my mother uh, and dad, whenever the Western Union man would stop at our mm-hmm. house, mother would be so petrified that she could not open the telegram until dad came home. You're darn right. I wouldn't be able to either. No. You know? And then she and dad together would open it and see which one of their sons had been injured and where. Right, right. All of those things. Oh, my goodness. That is I know. I know. And, and, um, And to know that each day... You have six sons out there mm-hmm. with people aiming and wanting to kill them. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I can't imagine living with that every single day. But they did. They did. And six brothers went to war and six brothers came home. Do you were obviously you're you're younger, so you don't have a lot of memories of them leaving. And it doesn't all happen in a vacuum. It's not like one day. Whoom, they're all oh, no. gone. So did your mom ever talk about what it was like when the next son said, Mom, I'm going to go. And then the next son, Mom, I'm going to go. I mean, was there ever any talk of, of that at all? or Not really. No? Okay. The draft was um, oh, the way they all went. Okay. And, yeah. and as soon as you got to be of age, Correct. they needed you. Yeah. You were drafted. So it was pretty much a pre-determined almost. You knew. Yeah. 
you knew and you didn't Mm -hmm. question. You knew it had to be done. Right. And one of my brothers had just turned 18. Oh, my God. When his draft draft notice came through. A baby. And off he went. Good Lord, a baby. Now, at that time... It's not like you can turn on the TV at any given time mm-hmm. for news. It's not like you could get on your phone for news. It's not like you could um, you know, get on a computer for news at all. So do I just couldn't imagine, and we just talked about kind of how excruciating it was just seeing the Western Union guy. I mean, I just couldn't imagine just how excruciating it would be in general just to wait to hear from my sons, you know? I mean, did do you recall if they wrote home, if they were able to at all, or if your mom had any inkling, or your parents had any inkling if they were doing okay? A lot of times they couldn't write about where they were or True. what they were doing. And and whenever letters were come, would mm-hmm. come, it was like wonderful. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Uh, but they would be very late. Yeah. We didn't have instant exactly. communication in exactly. any way. Again, think of that. Not one, not two, but six of your sons are gone from your family in different parts of the world. And like Edna said earlier, people are actively trying to harm and kill them the entire time. And you have no clue when you'll even hear from them next, or even if you'll hear from them at all. Even the news on the in the newspapers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or on the radio. Yep. Yep. There was no one with a camera taking pictures that you could exactly. see that night. Right, right. It would have to be on the radio and and or or the mail whenever mm-hmm. you would get it. Right, right, yeah. So God, it was it has to be so tough, you know? Yeah, it was very tough. Mm, mm. And, and speaking tough. of tough, what did your family do to stay positive? I think power of prayer and just knowing that God was in charge Uh is what kept kept us going and and just the busy lives that we had to have Uh well I saw my mother (laughs) right right. and and the older ones going through uh, just to keep things going because again um, we were depression like Mm -hmm. and you had to walk everywhere Mm -hmm. Uh, and you didn't get many shoes because they were rationed. Yeah. Um, but you had to walk to school. You had to walk everywhere you went. There uh-huh. was no c- cars or, you know. two, three car families like now. No. And, and exactly. We didn't have a car. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh-huh. because everything went for the war effort. So in, in the newspaper, the um, there was a really neat article. And this was the 2004 mm-hmm. newspaper article of a of a letter that your brother Joe wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, about his experiences in World War II and just reading that um, and, and not even reading his actual penmanship but reading just the reprint in the newspaper man it, it got me it really did it really it, it, yes. it got me a little teary eyed and just chills and he wrote about you know your boys you know your mm-hmm. the, the, the boys the compadres your 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 friends in battle and, and um, so he wrote that and it was found years later or and nobody knew he had written that is that how that went down or you don't recall at all i or? don't recall okay. how it was found okay but, but so many of the boys it was kept very close yeah they did not share because they didn't mm. what would what would they share but horror right right uh you know so 
So they didn't talk much. And I've often yep. thought um, when the, the men were discharged, when uh -huh. the war was over, at that time they got on boats to come back home. Mm -hmm. And the boats took a long time. <laughs> and I think they spoke among themselves, the different soldiers, of what they had seen, what they had done. Maybe it helped relieve yeah. some of the horror. In uh -huh. today's world, they get on a jet. Yep, and you're home in a second. And you're home, and it's like going from one world to another, and you're kind of lost mm -hmm. in this fog of what happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was I really there? Mm -hmm. Was it? Yeah. God. You know, mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, yeah. So. And one of the lines he put, he, he put in there, like, what hurt the most is when you're in a foreign country and you start to get homesick, you know, and that line just got me, man. These are boys mm -hmm. in a foreign country, you know, like you had mentioned, people are trying to kill them mm -hmm. and, and ah, you could just, ah, just get a sense of how homesick they were. And, and, you know, I think of me as a 45 year old, how much more ex life experience I have. And then you think of me as an 18 year old, it's, it's just, ah, it's just crazy. So. Yes. Um, and what does home signify? Yeah. Home is peace. Home is comfort. Mm. Home is safety. Yeah. Home is food. Home is love. Yep, exactly. And yeah. compared to where they were. <laughs> None of that. None of that. None of that. Goodness. None of that. The thing that hurt the most when you were in a foreign country and you started to get homesick. That's why you always tried to keep busy so you wouldn't think of the folks back home and all of the things that you would be doing if you were there. You tried to forget everyone by having all of the fun that you could. But of course, there was always something that made you think of home. You ate some rations and thought of all the good food your mother or wife would have on the table. It made you feel so bad and you started talking about it, and sometimes before it was over, you thought you had eaten a home-cooked meal. Just a few lines from that article, and I will try to share that as well uh, with social media posts and everything but the letter that he wrote is just uh, very moving and um, I highly recommend that you read it next Edna shares a bit about each of her brothers and their varied experiences in the war one of the brothers never did leave the states um, because of injury mm -hmm. and that was my eldest brother Royal okay he was in uh, training in gliders, uh -huh. the purpose of the training was to use the gliders to go behind the lines at Normandy. Wow. And um, gliders would deliver many men to one site at one time, mm -hmm. as opposed to like parachute jumpers, where they would land in a big area and separated from each other. Okay. With gliders, they would all be in the same airplane coming down. Mm -hmm. And... There was a high casualty rate with mm. gliders mm. because they were very visible. Mm -hmm. uh, Royal um, was in training in Georgia, and while in training, his glider crashed. And his legs were badly damaged. He mm -hmm. was pinned against a tree, wow. is what I had heard. And I had also heard that he was the only survivor of the crash. Okay. I wow. cannot verify that that's right. absolutely true. But for the next several years, mm -hmm. he was in hospitals. Wow. His legs, um, many, many operations mm -hmm. and pins and whatever they used at that time yeah. to make the bones right again. 
And I often thought that uh, perhaps that was a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. because so many that did make it over to Normandy in gliders never made it back. And also another blessing was that Royal married his nurse. Everything happens for a reason, and that's one more. Absolutely. That's one more. (laughs) Her name was Muriel, but she was a little thing, and we all called her Tiny. Oh, Tiny. She was a nurse. That's neat. She was his nurse. And Uh and I remember her saying, when I saw his blue eyes, she said, I was a goner. (laughs) He must have been one heck of a patient. (laughs) Royal was one heck of a man. He he didn't know an enemy. He didn't know a stranger. He would talk to everybody and tease. And and he was just a joy to be around. Yeah. He was just a a very special guy. That's cool. That's neat. Yeah. I mean, it's not neat he got hurt, but like you said, it's, it's... It could have been a blessing. And then uh, my next oldest brother is Clyde. Okay. And um, Clyde, I remember as a very artistic and creative Mm -hmm. person. Clyde was stationed in North Africa. Okay. Casablanca and another place called Oran. I I may not be saying that right. Right. But Clyde was um, infantry. Uh Uh-huh. And he was in uh, North Africa at the same time as Rommel, the German general with the trunk oh, tanks. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Rommel's, I think they called Raiders. Rommel's okay. Raiders. Yeah, and, and one of the duties that Clyde had was to go on battlefields mm-hmm. after a battle. Man. And, and pick up yeah. Bodies. casualties, yeah. yes. Wow. Yes, and he called the vehicle the Black Mariah. Yeah. Now Clyde kept a diary, mm. which his wife gave me uh, mm. to to, and I have it copied, and all. And on every page of his diary, he starts it out with hope and love, hope and love. Every page. Every page. Wow. Yeah, and uh, sometimes he said like, "We took the hill under fire, mines uh-huh. and booby traps. I drove Mariah." And when they um, left Africa, they went into Italy okay. uh, to free Italy from yeah. the Germans and, and what was going on there mm-hmm. at the same time. So, um, yeah, he, he was a very special guy. And after um, many years that I, I knew him later, because yeah. he was married. Okay. And, and I didn't really get to know him. Mm-hmm until after he came back home. And he would do things that required a lot of concentration. Uh, Needlepoint. Very exacting, beautiful. And he did some beautiful, beautiful pieces. Uh And I wondered if that was to kind of keep his mind occupied. I guarantee it was. Yeah, no, it probably was. Yeah, it was. But that diary I was telling you about on the last page, it says in great big capital letters, uh-huh. out of service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he he put a different word in the in service, out of the service. Yes, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> he probably couldn't wait to write that. <laughs> and I'm glad he could. Yes. You're, you're I'm glad right. he could. Yeah. <laughs> and then my, my next brother was Robert. Okay. 
Robert, too, was married. Okay. And Robert was a very Mr. Fix-It, mm-hmm. very mechanical. We rode a lot of bicycles back then, roller skates, yeah. all of these things, and he would fix anything that needed fixing. Uh-huh. He was Mr. Fix-It. <laughs> Robert was in the Normandy campaign. Mm-hmm. He did not know it. But on May 18th, uh, his wife gave birth to a baby girl mm-hmm. who died. And I don't believe the news got to him. Right. And if his commanders knew, they would not tell him. Right, right. For morale reasons. Yeah. And wow. um, so she died on May 18th. Mm. And on um, the 6th of June, they all landed on the beaches. Uh, two, th- th- two, two, yeah, two and a half weeks later, something like yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, and we all know about Normandy and yes. how awful it was. Yes. Um, he mm. he obviously survived. Right. And um, the landing there opened up two different pathways on the beaches mm-hmm. that would allow further troops and armaments to come through mm-hmm. uh, within a month or two afterwards. Mm-hmm. Huge price to pay. But wow. Robert, when he came back home, was never the same. How can you be? Right, You cannot. Especially for a man that could fix everything. Yeah. He couldn't fix that. Uh Uh-huh. He couldn't fix Uh that. Uh And in later years, he was really um, adamant about if someone got a cut or a sore or anything, he immediately had to take care of it. He had to fix it. It's just, he couldn't let it go. He just... He could not let it go. He could not let it go. Wow. So my next brother, Marion. Uh Uh-huh. We called him Cot. You call him Cot? Cot. Cot, okay. C-O-T. Okay. When he was young, his hair was almost as white as cotton. Okay. So people always, the, the gang would always have nicknames, and this was before I came along, of yeah. course. And, and uh, so they called him Cottonhead, uh-huh. and it got low, you know, it became yeah. Cot. Cot. That's so that nickname stuck all <laughs> through his life. And he was a very gentle, loving person, and uh-huh. he was a ranger. Okay. Uh, Marion also had um, a diary, mm-hmm. and uh, he was involved in Operation Husky, and that was again North Africa, Casablanca, in that area is where he was stationed with the British troops. And even though his brother Clyde was in the same area, they did not meet. Okay. Uh, they were not in the same regiments, uh-huh. and so each was doing their separate things. Um, while Clyde was dealing with Rommel, uh, Marion, uh, part of Operation Husky, was the invasion of Sicily. Okay. And and um, if, if you ever are interested and read about it, it was a very amazing campaign. Uh, the Sicily was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Operation Husky. Okay. Uh, uh, and um, so they left... Um, in boats across the Mediterranean mm-hmm. in horrible weather. Mm-hmm. And they landed on Sicily. And for 38 days, the fight continued mm-hmm. until they were able mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. their way through Sicily. And then when they started to go into Italy, mm-hmm. um, then I think the ones from the other part of well, like Clyde's troop and everything came into Italy okay. also. And um, Marion would carry machine gun 
bullets. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point in his diary, he says that they were in a hiding place. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they had dug out something or what, but they had their machine gun. They were being shot at from every direction, plus overhead. That's wild. Airplanes, yes. And they could hear tanks coming up behind them. And he thought, this is it. Yeah. This is it. I'm goner. And turns out the tanks were American tanks. That the boats that were behind them were bringing in tanks and heavy equipment. And, And they were fine. But then when Marion went into... Italy, they were fighting again, and um, he he was walking, and he stepped over this thing that he saw, mm-hmm. and the two guys that he was with, one had the machine gun and whatever, they they kind of stepped on it, and it was a mine, and and it blew, it killed both of them, and Marion for the rest of his life had shrap metal in his legs. Okay. And as long as I knew him, pieces would work their way out. Yeah. If you've ever had a splinter, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, those little things hurt. Yeah, and imagine I thought, that times. I, I thought, how, how, how could you live yeah. with all that? Uh-huh. But it was such that to take it all out, they couldn't do it. Probably not, yeah. Yeah, so so oh. he, he had that to contend with. And um, yeah, but he received the Bronze Star. Okay. Uh, for meritorious and heroic uh, service. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'll have to tell you the story about the medals, too, yeah. which I find very interesting. So Miao Marion was a very special. He he uh, raised a family when he got back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, lovely families. Oh. Yes. That's great. My brother Joseph, you've already mentioned Joseph. Uh-huh. Joseph was a poet. Okay. <laughs> He was a poet, and he was also mechanical. And uh, he fought in France and Germany. Okay. And the the ways that the landing at Normandy, the two air, areas that they opened up so that forces could come through, mm-hmm. tanks and other men could come through, opened the way for Joe, okay, his brother, <laughs> uh-huh. to come through, because uh, Joe and and. Um, within a month of, after the initial invasion of Normandy, mm-hmm. um, the various troops came through okay. that area. Those that survived the initial landing had moved forward through France, were working their way through France. Okay. And uh, Joe uh, came with his group, and they came into France mm-hmm. and then worked their way into uh, Germany. Okay. And Joe was with the 796th Battalion, mm-hmm. which joined up with General Patton. Okay. And if you know the story of Patton, you know that um, they were instrumental in finding the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And and Joe had, had somewhere made a comment about not knowing what he was seeing on, on the ground uh, as they were walking through different areas as they were getting closer to Germany. And um, they found the crematoriums. Mm. And uh, he's a poetic person. Yeah. He's a very gentle. Mm-hmm. And and um, I, I just recently saw something about Patton and, and the, the concentration camps. 
And they were so awful uh, that some of the troops were so furious at the Germans and others mm-hmm. that were guarding it, that that they took their anger out. The the our troops mm-hmm. took their anger out on these awful people that were mm-hmm. starving and maiming and doing whatever, mm-hmm. burning uh, other human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Patton, mm-hmm. Patton, Patton said, no one is going to be held responsible for their actions because he understood what makes you feel that way, you know? What mm-hmm. makes you do these things. God. So, so that six. was, yeah. So he was part of Patton's third army. But that leaves me still with one more brother. All right. <laughs> that was Donald. Donald was the one who was 18 and got his draft notice immediately. Oh, God. Uh-huh. He also won a Bronze Star. Okay. Donald did. And uh, Donald was sent to the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. He was in the liberation of the Philippines. Okay. And after that, went into Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, he was wounded on Mindanao. One of the islands, is that what The it, island okay. of Mindanao. Uh-huh. It was deeply entrenched with uh, the Japanese. They mm-hmm. had dug caves and holes. And, and I think you've probably seen pictures of some mm-hmm. of the things that happened on that Ooh. island. So uh, he was mo- wounded um, on June 10th of 45. And uh, Douglas MacArthur yeah. had ordered issue, uh, issues uh-huh. to clear Mindanao. Okay. You know, so that's what they were doing. It was called Operation Victor V. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very costly, costly battle and casualties uh-huh. and and uh, all of that. But mom and dad had a, a telegram come, and I have copies of the telegram, the Western Union, saying, the Secretary of War desires me to express his deep regret that your son, Private Donald K. Hardman, was slightly wounded, oh, slightly man. wounded, <laughs> on Mindanao, June 10th. Still, and, and that's so got forth. to be so scary to open that. Well, I, I mentioned earlier that that my parents received two two Western Union mm-hmm. telegrams within one week. One was when Royal Royal's glider yeah. crashed, mm-hmm. and the other was when uh, Marion mm. uh, stepped over the mine. Yeah. Yeah. Good gosh, man, that is wild. And he was he was your your the youngest brother to go to war, correct? He was the youngest. And you know, I read I read in the paper, and I think this was a 2004 article. Um, that the first brother who did pass away was Donald. It was. And it was in 1968. Yes, he was 42. Wow, it's young. Just the experiences that her six brothers went through alone is absolutely mind-boggling. Getting your legs crushed in training before you even head to war and being hospitalized for all of that time, stepping over a mine and then seeing two of your fellow soldiers blown up and then living with the shrapnel the rest of your life, walking into a concentration camp, and I don't even need to describe all of those horrors that you would see, picking up dead bodies in a battlefield. Your baby daughter dies at home and you don't even know it because you are on the beaches at Normandy taking part in a battle that saw 73,000 Allied forces alone killed or getting wounded in the Pacific Islands. This is all just what six soldiers went through. Multiply that by the 16 million soldiers that participated in World War II from the United States, and that shows you the sheer size of World War II. Next, 
Edna shares some of the different ways that she was able to track down information about her brothers. And she is quite good at paperwork. So much of the information I received mm-hmm. um, came through various wonderful sources. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when when my sister's article was in the newspaper, was in um, what? Is that the uh, 20- November of 04? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was wondering about my brothers. Um, I didn't know where to turn to find the information. Mm-hmm. So in December, I sent a letter to uh, Senator Evan Bay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I told him what I was trying to do. Okay. And I told I sent him a copy of the newspaper article. Uh-huh. And I um, I asked him if, if what I should do. How mm-hmm. do I find the information? And almost immediately, I got a letter back from his <laughs> office. And he said that um, they were just amazed and, and uh, to read the story. Yeah. And, and the reason I sent the newspaper, I wanted them to see the faces. Mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. them to associate mm-hmm. a person with the name. And he said, um, um, you know, that he'd be happy to help me as much as he could, but I needed to fill out paperwork. Okay. And course. I, uh, of course. <laughs> and, and so... Um, he said that he would help. So immediately I filled out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they gave me authority to be the representative of the family to where things could be sent ah, to me. Nice. So for the next six months, uh, Evan Bay's office and his staff, wow. both in uh, Indianapolis, Washington, D.C., and St. Louis. Oh, St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis is where the records were kept. And unfortunately, in 1973, there had been a fire. And so many of the records were damaged or totally destroyed. Mm -hmm. On some of my brothers, I could get very, very little information. Mm -hmm. So they did other sources. I did get all the discharge papers, badly smeared, smudged, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, they gave me everything they could possibly give me. And and, uh, so... I was so happy to have that, of you know, course. and and uh, and then after I started doing all this research, one day my phone rang, and it was the mayor of Elkhart. Oh. He had been a friend of my brother Clyde and his wife Petey. Okay. And uh, he said that Senator Richard Luger mm-hmm. was doing a veteran history project mm-hmm. in which they would take diaries and paper, anything from veterans yeah. that they would put in the Library of Congress. Okay. And uh, so I I wrote to him, and I told him what I wanted. Uh-huh. I wanted to put the diaries. I wanted to put everything I could yes. in there, and I got back paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so I filled out the, the uh, paperwork, mm-hmm. and I sent it back, and I also sent copies of the diaries and of the newspaper article. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to him, and and he said, um, I am pleased to notify others that their their memories are available for public viewing. And this is the Library of Congress, the Mm -hmm. Veteran History Project. So um, I tried to find these things by going on that website. I got lost. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) But the fact that that, uh, I'd like to think they are there. Yeah. 
uh-huh. in the Library of Congress. The newspaper article, the diaries, yeah. and Joe's poem, uh-huh. Those Boys' Crosses. Yeah. And I also mentioned earlier about the medals. Uh, as I was working with Senator Bai, mm-hmm. uh, one day I had a knock at the door, and there was a package from his office. Okay. And I thought, what is this? You know? Right. And when I opened it up, they had made duplicate copies. Oh, cool. Of all the medals that all of my brothers, all six of them, had won. That had been a lot of medals. It was a lot of medals. <laughs> yeah. It was a big package. Yes. <laughs> and their names were engraved on the sides. Oh. And I was just amazed. Floored, yeah. I was floored. I did not expect that. Uh-huh. I was so pleased. That is so cool. I was just so, so pleased. And, and um, <laughs> you know, so... I copied all of them. I have paper copies uh-huh. of the medals, but all of the actual medals I gave to the families. Of course, yes. Yeah, so yeah. that they could have those. Uh-huh. But I thought, how wonderful is all of that? And, that is. And when I finally finished what I thought was going to be my tribute to my brothers, uh-huh. doing all of what we've talked yeah. about and everything, I thought, wow, this is wonderful. How could there be anything more that we could do to honor my brothers? Well, turns out there was. The bench? The bench. <laughs> and it started with one of- um, Danny's. It was- And Marion. Marion. His granddaughter. Was Marion's that granddaughter. Marcy. Uh-huh. Had been ha- like with her, her own daughter was going to like head start at Lafayette School and they're hanging out around the military park, yeah, absolutely. right? absolutely. And so that is what sparked yes. that, right? So talk to me about that. How did it all- She saw the tributes to all the veterans mm-hmm. that were there. And she determined that when she had enough money, she would put a tribute there for her grandpa and her uh, great uncles. Great uncles, yeah. And uh, she called me one day and said, um, "I'm going to do this." Uh-huh. And she said, "I I I need to know the the their names mm-hmm. from oldest to younger, youngest." Okay. So um, I was happy to give it to her, and then we started a whole big uh, celebration. Yeah. About this, and on um, um, May 27th of 2017, mm-hmm. we had a special ceremony out at the Military Honor Park uh-huh. in which we had the revealing of the bench. So many. So many people contributed to that. Mm. It was just amazing. Beautiful. And there was a huge crowd there. Uh-huh. And it was a beautiful day with partly sunny skies. And um, we had a minister there uh-huh. that started with a prayer. And then my nephew, Dan Hardman, uh, gave a speech. Mm-hmm. He was a Vietnam veteran. Okay. And uh, then my son, Matthew, talked and introduced all He's of the boys. Too. He was 11 years in the Air Force. Absolutely. And um, then we had a 21-gun salute. <laughs> And we had the playing of taps. Yeah, goosebumps. That is so neat. We had the playing of taps. And then uh, the surviving uh, family, which uh-huh. was Joanne was living at that time. Uh, uh, Joanne, my sister Helen, my brother John, and myself, and Marcy. Uh-huh. We unveiled the bench. Yeah. A- and um, it was just amazing. And again, there was... A newspaper article, this time by Joe Ditz. Uh-huh. I thought, how wonderful is this? You know, so I thought, this is a wonderful tribute that we have done. And I thought, what more could we possibly do? And then I got a phone call. Uh-huh. 
And this time it was my son saying, um, mom, I had told the people here in Peoria about the bench. Mm-hmm. They want to do an honor flight to honor my oh, uncle. Really? And um, so <laughs> on September 18th of 2018, uh-huh. there was an honor flight in Peoria, okay. Illinois. 72 veterans were Holy on the flight. Moly. And they uh, asked me to be there uh-huh. and to give a little speech, uh, 10 minutes or so. Yeah. And um, so uh, I did. And as I was giving the speech, um, they had a projector. Okay. And they would put on the screen the picture of my brother oh. that I would be talking about. Again, cool. a face to a name. Yes. And and uh, there were exactly. veterans from every war, uh, including the Second World War and their wheelchairs and all. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. were Vietnam, there was Korea, there was uh, Afghanistan, there was all of them. And there was one from Vietnam, especially who was there with his service dog. And I had met him before we had the dinner and everything. And um, he, he has been, he has had problems. Mm-hmm. And... While I was giving the speech, when I got to the end of it, uh, I had found a poem written by a Desert Storm veteran. Okay. His name was Clive Sanders. Uh-huh. And, and the poem starts out, if Unless you've been a soldier, you just won't understand the things that we have seen and done in the service of our land. We have trained in combat to cope with awful sights that shouldn't be seen by anyone and keep us awake at nights. We don't discuss the wounds we have to the body or the mind. We just put our hurts behind us and turn our memories to blind. We are proud we served our country and remember those we lost. For the freedom that you have today, they paid the awful cost. Mm, mm, mm. And while I was saying that, the man from Vietnam was yelling, saying, yes, that's the way. Well, yes, 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 yes. And it was so hard to to yeah. you know to do that, but but they 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 gave my son and I a plaque when this talk was over yeah. and everything with a medallion recognizing all the uh-huh. arms, all the branches of service, and they said that when the plane leaves tomorrow, the Hardman brothers are going to be on the wing, making sure <laughs> that the flight arrives safely and has a safe That's trip neat. back. And the just being there was such an honor. Uh-huh. The flags were everywhere. Yeah. People were holding big flags, and the, the veterans would walk through the aisles, and people would be patting them and shaking their hands to the Vietnam yeah. soldiers. Which they didn't get that when they, they did came not home get originally. That. No, my nephew Dan mm-hmm. got spit on when mm-hmm. he came home. See? And, and, and they felt like they finally were welcomed yeah. back. And and it was a, a late night, mm-hmm. and then early the next morning they they boarded the plane. Mm-hmm. The, the airport was crowded. Uh-huh. People from all over came to see them wow. off. And when they came back, the airport was crowded mm-hmm. with people waving flags, yeah. plotting, patting them on the backs, everything cool. to welcome them yes. back home. That is neat. Mm. And I thought, 
what more could we possibly yeah. do? I mean, come on, that that's so amazing. And then you called. <laughs> well, your nephew or your great nephew emailed me. <laughs> My great nephew. And that's did. he emailed me the article, and I said, yeah, well, yeah, let's Ryan give a Goldstone. Shot. Hey, yeah, you know? <laughs> he's such an interesting young man too. So, uh, what an amazing story for these six men. And what makes my story unique is the fact that there were six. Yes. That they didn't do this on their own. Right. There were hundreds of thousands of people involved, yep. maybe millions probably. Literally. Absolutely. Uh, but but these guys are special to our family. Absolutely. You're darn right they are. And there's are. six of them. Uh-huh. And so they are South Bend's Band of Brothers. I love it. I, I love, love it, it too. I love it too. And they would have loved it too. And they would have been very... Pleased and embarrassed and all those things. Uh-huh. But all those guys are they are so humble. Humble. They're so um just inner strength that all the gentlemen in the you know the World War II generation that I've been a part of, and even my grandfather too, um, just so stoic and humble and and not braggadocious, not no. you know, like they almost like you say, get embarrassed if you're giving them praise, you know, but they deserve yes. our praise. They they do, but to them, the ones that deserve all that are the ones that didn't make it back. Exactly right. And yes. Um, yes. I could tell you more stories about what I learned uh, uh, personally for each of the brothers along the way. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's enough. They, yeah, yeah. So bless their hearts. They all came back. Yep. Um, damaged physically, damaged emotionally. Yeah. The ones that were in Germany and France uh, and the- Normandy, um, they had more problems. Yeah. How can you how can see? You not? How can you see that? Yeah. How can you? No. I know. You know. We have no clue. We have no clue. Nope. We do not. And and uh, but they all became contributing members of mm-hmm. society, raised families. Yeah. And and the story goes on. We wrap it up next with a quote that Edna shares that I think everybody needs to listen to. There's a little saying here that I love from the Fellowship of the Rings. Okay. And, and I, I just, it applies to everybody, uh-huh. I think. And I really like it. And I think it is uh, Samwise from the Fellowship uh-huh. of the Rings. He says, I wish this had never come to me. And Gandalf responds and says, so do all who live to see such times. Mm-hmm. But that is not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Wow. Yeah. I find that so, I don't it's, know. It, no, that's it, it, living it, your life and-, and Making the yes, best of the time absolutely. that you have and mm-hmm. not, I mean, yes, they could have been deep in remorse and all these, but they made the best of the time yes. that was given to yes. them. Yes, yes. That quote's powerful too. I love that. that I is. love that quote. It hangs <laughs> up on my bulletin board. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. An extra special thanks to Edna Parcell for taking the time to meet and share her memories of her six brothers. I hope that you all take a moment to thank the veterans in your lives for helping to keep our country free. Again, folks, follow us on all the social media channels and check out that YouTube. And as always, join us again next time to learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's Now and Then.